0: So if you need a Bible, grab a Bible from around the edges of the room. And actually, will you stand with me? And uh, we're just going to say the Lord's Prayer together this morning to start our time here. So it'll be on the screen. You can follow along with me. And let's, uh, let's just get into it. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. First Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to make it all the way through. We're making it... We've been tasked to do a full chapter a week, so we're going to rip through this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, all the T's are together, if you forget where they are, near the end of your Bible. If you hit uh, things like Peter's and James and Hebrews, you've gone too far, go back a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, so Paul, if you remember, he's he's concerned with Uh, the people and the church that he planted in Thessalonica. And so he sends Timothy back uh, to to visit them, to visit the young church and check in on them. And he sends a letter of encouragement with Timothy so that the church there may be strengthened in Jesus Christ to continue in the ways that they were taught while him and his friends were there, him and Silas and Timothy. and, And so chapter two here opens with a uh, defense of Paul's ministry, actually. And then it ends with a word of thankfulness for all that God has done in the town of Thessalonica. You might remember uh, in the book of Acts, I think we talked about it a little bit last week, in the book of Acts uh, chapter 17, that after Paul and his friends left Philippi and they came for a short while to uh, Thessalonica, just a short little while they were there, The Jewish religious leaders of the area, and those under kind of their influence, they formed a mob, uh, and they basically forced Paul and his friends uh, to flee in the middle of the night. And so in this letter being delivered, and specifically what we're going to look at today, being delivered by Timothy, Paul defends his own character and his ministry. Because the logical response would be, uh, from the Jewish leaders, is to immediately attempt to discredit Paul's ministry through propaganda, disinformation, fake news, some of you might like to say. You know, they might say, look at this guy. He was only here for a short time. He just made a quick buck. He just wanted to make a quick buck, and then he fled the scene. Or, or they might say something like, this guy, this guy Paul and his buddies, they just travel around. They use flattering words to please your ears so that you might be deceived. And then look, they took off in the middle of the night. These guys don't care about you. Or you know, they might say, this guy Paul, he just wants glory for himself. He speaks with authority. He, come, he comes across like a dictator. He's harsh. He doesn't like people who don't listen to him. And so Paul feels the need to address these naysayers, the Jewish leaders, uh, but not for his own personal character. Like I think we can all agree Paul's got some pretty thick skin. Uh, rather, he addresses these issues brought forth against him so that the gospel of God would not be belittled or compromised in any way. And so let's take a look in chapter 2 here at what Paul says. And as we do, as we go through it this morning, we're actually, we can apply this in our own lives today. Particularly for those of you in the manner uh, within the church or ministry that you seek to be in leadership positions. But also if you maybe don't seek to be in leadership positions within the church, you can apply this because in our 21st century, we have the internet. We have more access to different ministries and things that we can look at through the internet. And this can help us discern the ministry of a man and whether it can be trusted or not. What Paul talks about here. So look at chapter two, verse one, verse one and two. It says this, for you... Yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul's coming to the Thessalonians was not in vain uh, I think, in the sense of of thinking highly of oneself, he's he might be using it here in the term. But you know, you're so vain. I I bet you think this song is about you, kind of idea. Like, he he's saying, I didn't come to you in vain to build myself up, because the effects of Paul's ministry is clear. Like, the effects he was very succe- Well, he was successful in 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 Thessalonica. And he didn't need to defend the fruit that came out of the church of Thessalonica. Rather, after he left, the Jewish religious leaders would have instantly been trying to undermine Paul by claiming he only came to this area to gratify his own desires. And he used salesman-like tactics to get converts. Which is just pure ridiculousness, is what Paul says here. He reminds them in verse 2 that they had been shamefully treated in Philippi. And they came to the next town, and they boldly declared the gospel of God amidst much conflict. For the same reason, they were shamefully treated in Philippi. Do you guys remember what happened in Philippi? Uh, Acts 16. Uh, they're, They're walking down the street. And for many days, a young slave girl possessed by a spirit follows them and is crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation true facts, (laughs) but day after day for days, they followed Paul and Silas around and was shouting this and shouting this at them and and at the crowds until eventually Paul gets annoyed and he commands the spirit to come out, which it did, and that ticked off the slave girl's owners (laughs) because they were making money off her, and that ticked them off, and so they had Paul and Silas dragged into the marketplace where they were stripped, they were beaten with rods. They were thrown into the inner prison and fastened in stocks. And these same men came to Thessalonica with wounds fresh on their back, literally because they were bold in their proclamation of God. And what did they do when they came to this next town? They went right back to the preaching the good news of God, that which is Jesus Christ. He says, you think I came in a desire to fulfill my vanity? What kind of vanity am I hoping to get out of being beaten and bruised with rods. Heck, before Philippi, we know in the book of Acts, even in the town of of Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. (laughs) Paul came to the people of Thessalonica with fresh wounds, and he unwaveringly, boldly proclaimed the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that shows us the first characteristic that's modeled in godly leadership, godly ministry is this. A godly leader will be bold in the declaration of Jesus Christ, even at the risk of one's own convenience, contentment, and comfort. Look at verse 3. Paul goes on. He says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Second quality of a godly leader. Uh, I couldn't think of any other way to say this other than they need to believe what they say. (laughs) The area that Paul's in here, it's highly religious. There's many competing views, desperately vying for attention. And Paul reminds the Thessalonians, My message isn't from error. My motives aren't impure. My method is not from deceit. You know, Paul has been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so he speaks not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul didn't come to the people with scumbag-like salesmen, use card-like tactics, maybe used buggy like tactics he wasn't attempting to deceive and trick the people into the kingdom he didn't trap people into being saved friends if you genuinely believe what you are saying that there is no other way to salvation other than through the saving work of jesus christ who died on the cross so that you may be saved and then was raised again three days later so that you may have eternal life there's no reason to come with deceitful tactics or with impure motives A godly leader understands that his message isn't from error. Look at verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. It sounds kind of funny to say that, right? That a godly leader believes what he's saying. Because you're like, well, I sure hope you believe what's coming out of your mouth. But at the same time, I think it's pretty easy to fall into routine and rhythm and just kind of use prepared flow charts and, and... You know, rehearsed comebacks and rehearsed language because, well, that's what works. But, friends, if you genuinely believe what you're saying and you believe that salvation doesn't lie at the end of a well prepared uh, 10 slide PowerPoint presentation, you believe that salvation doesn't come through the flattering words of a good looking preacher. Salvation comes through the saving work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to change lives and draw men to himself. If you truly believe that, why would you use flattering words and a pretext for greed? For who's a witness? God is a witness, and it is God who tests hearts of men, not your fellow man around you. It's Jesus who saves us from the wrath to come, not other men around us and you have been entrusted with the truth and the good news of Jesus Christ. All authority has been given to Jesus, and he has now entrusted you with the knowledge of himself to make disciples of all nations. Friends, Paul's saying here, he's saying, I didn't come with the gospel of Paul. (laughs) I came to tell you what's true, not what's my own opinion, but stemming from an understanding that the message of what I came to share isn't from error Rather, it came from the literal God of creation who holds all things together. And he entrusted Paul with that message to share. Look at verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Which brings us to our third point qualities of a godly leader. A godly leader will seek to serve, not to be served. When Paul ministered to the people in Thessalonica, he was unconcerned with personal glory. He didn't make demands upon the people, which he knows he has a right to, 1 Corinthians 9. He could have made certain requests and demands as is his God-given right of the people, but instead he willingly gave up that right so that he could be a blessing to the people that he was among. Paul uses the metaphor of a nursing mother here, taking care of her own children. His ministry was covered in the gentle care and grace that a mother has to her newborn child. What does a nursing mother expect from her child? Nothing. (laughs) All the mother cares about is how to keep the child comfortable and nourished and warm and secure. Paul's ministry was filled with grace and genuine concern for people in the same manner that a mother has for a newborn nursing child. And why did he have such concern? Look at verse 8. He says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, look at this, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Not only did Paul share the gospel with the people, but he shared his whole life. The people he was sharing with became very dear to him. He says they were affectionately desirous to him. Effective ministry is more than just standing in front of a chalkboard. It's, it's sharing life with people, going through good times, going through hard times. People will respond when they see how much you care for them. And people can receive some hard lessons when they know that you love them dearly like a mother does a child. And I constantly need to be reminded of this myself. I'll tell you a little story. Even from this past week, Jessica and I went to visit uh, a friend in the hospital this past week. And um, the whole morning leading up to it, it was a Monday morning, so I was here at the church and I was working on the sermon. And I I was like, in my head, I'm like, I just don't know if I'm gonna be able to go. I just got a lot of work to do. I'm preaching this week. I got a lot of reading to do. I got a lot of stuff I got to prepare. You know, I got to listen to things. I just don't know if I have time to go visit a member of our church in the hospital. <laughs> and I start to get caught up in my own importance and everything, right? And, and that's when I got a smack upside my head, man, <laughs> watch yourself. It's the people that matter. <laughs> People don't care how much you know, how many books you've read until they know how much you care for them. Godly leadership comes to serve the people first. Look at verse nine. It says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul recognized that he had the right. He had the right as a laborer of God to receive financial compensation for the work that he was doing in Thessalonica. But he willingly gave up that right so that he might serve and that he might not be a burden to the people that he was ministering to. Now, don't get me wrong. (laughs) A minister deserves his wage. But another way that you can tell whether you have a godly ministry, a godly leader on your hand is whether they come to serve or be served is about how much they talk about money. There's a reason here we don't pass around the offering jar midway through the service. There's a reason we don't have signs up all over the place telling you about how you can give us money. Uh, You know, there's a reason that when a a church plant, a Calvary Chapel church plant goes out, the parent church doesn't just fund them. They got to go out and get a job while they're planting a church. They got to go out and get a nine to five job. They aren't fully compensated by the parent church sending them out. But, just so we're all clear and on the up and up here, I am financially compensated for the work I do here. The part-time work around that I do around here, I am financially compensated. But I also want to be clear, don't think for a second that the amount of compensation I receive is on par with the amount of work I do. But the work I do is not for financial compensation. It's because of point number two, friends. I believe that what I'm saying is true. (laughs) I strive to please God. I don't strive to please man and make money. And Paul wanted to be very clear to the Thessalonians. He isn't there to take their money. He isn't there to make himself rich. Rather, he's there to serve and to preach the gospel of God, that which is Jesus Christ. And so, just a warning, watch out for a ministry where they want money, <laughs> where they talk a lot about money, where money is a common topic from the pulpit. I've heard it said uh, that if, if a televangelist truly believed what they were saying, if they truly believed point number two of a godly ministry, rather than always asking for money, they'd be asking for your address to send you money. It <laughs> doesn't happen, does it? If they truly believe that God will look after them, they wouldn't be asking for money 24-7. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Paul had no problem declaring and sharing his walk with others, even to the extent of declaring, you follow me as I follow Jesus. And through all this, he writes to the church in Thessalonica as they're reading this. He, you know, Paul isn't writing some metaphorical ideas of how he's good to them. You know, he's not just making up things and saying, oh, I was good to you, trust me. He's giving literal examples. He says, I cared for you like a nursing mother. <laughs> I didn't take any money from you. I came to you beaten and bruised. They probably saw the scars on his back after he was beaten and bruised, and I still preached the truth to you. And if any of this wasn't true, well the people would have easily dismissed all of what Paul's saying here. And none of it could be trusted. But it wasn't dishonest. The people were witness to the righteous, holy and blameless conduct towards them. The fruit of effective ministry is the people. The people are witness to your effective godly work for the Lord. So I ask you this morning, can you look at others younger than you and say, follow me as I follow Christ? Look at verse 11 as Paul demonstrates the final example of a godly ministry. He says this, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The fourth and final example uh, Paul gives here as he uh, defends his ministry of a godly leader is this. A godly ministry will always exhort, encourage, and charge people to be more like Christ. Earlier Paul, Uh, In his letter, Paul used the metaphor of a mother, a nursing mother. And now he uses the metaphor of a father who exhorts, who encourages and charges the people to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his kingdom and his own glory. Walk in a manner worthy of God. You're a new creation, you're a new citizen, now walk in it, is what he says. A good godly leader will always point you to Jesus Christ and he will be your biggest cheerleader to be more like Christ. A good godly leader will always point you to Jesus Christ and give you as much support as possible to be more like Jesus Christ. A good godly leader will always place upon you the responsibility that you have to become more like Christ. And I want to just touch on that last point, friends. Don't be dismissive of the responsibility that God has given you. He's entrusted you with the gospel and you are now a new citizen of the kingdom of God and with that new citizenship comes a responsibility and it should come with a desire to share this kingdom that has come. Let's review. A godly leader will what? Be bold in the declaration of Jesus Christ even at the risk of one's own convenience, contentment and comfort. A godly leader will believe what they're saying. (laughs) A godly leader will seek to serve and not be served. And a godly leader will always exhort, encourage, and charge the people to be more like Christ. And so as Paul goes on here in verse 13 through to the end, uh, he takes a bit of a shift actually. From Paul defending his ministry so that the work of Christ wouldn't be diminished to now, for the rest of the chapter, he thanks God for the people and everything going on in Thessalonica. Look at verse 13. He says this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. What thanksgiving Paul has here For the Thessalonians and how they received the word of God. Paul believed what he was saying. He honestly believed that the word brought to the Thessalonians was truly the word of God. It truly is the word of God that commands authority. And Paul believed that he had the authority to present it to the people. And though during Paul's day they didn't have the nice documented uh, scriptures put together New Testament that we have today today. We recognize the Bible as the written word of God, which leads us to the living word of God, which is Jesus. Good one. I heard it there. The Bible is merely not some nice self-help book. It is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Second Peter 1 tells us that no prophecy of Scripture was from someone's own interpretation. Rather, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is the Word of God, and we must receive it as the Word of God. A church that begins to lower the value of the Bible is one that lowers the value of God's Word, and that is not a church that I want to be a part of. Paul is thankful that the people received the Word as a Word of God as it is because Paul presented it as the Word of God. And so in the same manner you need to receive the Word of God as what it truly is, I would encourage you when presenting it to others, you need to present the Word of God as it is. God has given us a message that is possible to understand, and the people welcomed it not as a Word of men, but they received it just as they were presented. And notice this, just as they were presented. Paul presented it as the word of God. Friends, sometimes people don't receive the word of God because they aren't presented with the word of God. Preachers can shy away from the real truth that is clearly recorded. Don't shy away from presenting God's word correctly. Have authority and power in presenting God's word. Present this in the true factual understanding that this is the word of God. And then the recipient must receive it as the word of God. And Paul has such confidence in the word of God because he can see it at work in people's lives. This isn't just some nice light-hearted uh, reading to put you to bed tonight. Put you to sleep before bed tonight. It's not just a life coach book. The word of God is full of power and it effectively works in those who believe. Which he told us all about last week in, in chapter 1. You can go back and listen. Declaration of God's word and reception of God's word will always do a work in a person's life. God's word is not just simply a nice book that we like to read once in a while. It is living, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and attentions of heart. Quite a book. The word of God, when received as it is, will result in work in a person's life and they will be changed. Look at verse 14. We'll read a a few verses here. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God And oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. When the Thessalonians responded to the gospel, they were targets of persecution. And Paul reminds them that they're not alone in your suffering, but they became imitators of other churches in Judea that suffered from the Jewish people. Paul comforted the Thessalonians with the fact that they were not the first ones to be persecuted and they will not be the last ones to be persecuted. Jesus Christ was persecuted. The first Christians in Judea faced persecution and Christians to the end of the earth will face persecution. And we mustn't gloss over, it would be easy to just skip over this and move on to the next set of verses, but we can't gloss over who. Paul is specifically talking about that is the primary cause of persecuting the Christians in this day. It's no secret that the Jewish people didn't like the message of Jesus Christ. They didn't like the radical idea that you could come to the God of Abraham through Jesus who is the Christ. And they they truly didn't mind if you came to the God their God, God of Abraham. In fact, if any time the Jewish people were uh proselytizing, evangelical, if you will. Now was the time. They wanted people to come to their religion, but they wanted you to come on their terms. They wanted you to come by the book of the law. They wanted you to come and follow their rules. They did not like that someone would come and preach the message of Jesus Christ. And so from that, intense persecution and riots came upon the believers that trusted in Jesus Christ, primarily from the Jewish people. Now, all this to say, this is by no means any hint of justification of the history of persecution that Christians have had towards the Jewish people since the first century. There's a long history of persecution towards the Jewish people from Christians. I mean, even up until very, very recently, the past 40, 50 years or so, There were large quantities of Bible-believing, evangelical Christians who felt like the Israeli people were deserving of everything they got. And it was their duty to continue that persecution upon the Israeli people. And now things are starting to change amongst Bible-believing Christians. And we recognize that God has a plan for Israel. The book of Psalms, like we've been saying all morning, the book of Psalms tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and peace within the walls of the city. We recognize that God uses the people of Israel to bring Christ to all nations so that you will be saved. We recognize the horrors and shameful persecution being enacted upon the people of Israel this very second. But we also recognize that the people of Israel are a nation that haven't turned to Jesus. And there will come a day where they will see and mourn for the one they put to death. And friends, we pray for the people of Israel, that they would turn to Jesus for salvation. Listen to what the English commenter Adam Clark said. He said about this verse and about the Jewish people. says this, Their crimes were great. To these their punishment is proportioned. For what end God has preserved them distinct from all the people of the earth among whom they sojourn, we cannot pretend to say, but it must unquestionably be for an object of the very highest importance. In the meantime, let the Christian world treat them with humanity and with mercy. It's not for you to enact revenge on any person that persecutes you. Rather, let God deal with the wrath. You don't need to lift up arms against those that persecute you, and by returning persecution with persecution, you will in turn bring wrath upon yourself. Even if they are deserving of much worse, keep your hands clean and be confident that God will deal with it in times to come. Look at the final set of verses as Paul makes clear his plan and desire was always to come back and visit the Christians of Thessalonica. Verse 17, he says this, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Verse 18, Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Interesting. If you remember uh, when Paul when Paul was deciding to make his way, trying to decide what town to go to, he had it in his head he wanted to go to this place Uh before even coming to Thessalonica, but it was actually the spirit of Jesus that we we see recorded in the book of Acts, Acts 16. It's the spirit of Jesus that forbids him from going to where he wanted to go. And here uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter two, Paul mentions to the church in Thessalonica that, that in this case, it's not that he didn't want to come see them, rather it was Satan who hindered him from returning to see them sooner. And so the logical question I would have, well, how do I know if it's Satan or if it's the Holy Spirit hindering me from doing something? And my answer that you're gonna love is I don't know. (laughs) But I do know the answer is to go to prayer. If you aren't clear whether it's Satan or the Holy Spirit closing a door, ask God. Don't ask me. Don't come ask me. (laughs) I'll tell you to go ask God your first instinct should always to be to go to prayer. Anytime you're looking for discernment or wisdom into a situation, your first move should always be to go to prayer and ask the God of creation. Remember, do you believe what you're saying? (laughs) Then here's a good idea. Ask the God who created the heavens and earth for discernment and wisdom. Listen to what Spurgeon has to say about this, this verse here. He says this, supposing that we have ascertained that hindrances in our way really come from Satan, what then? I have but one piece of advice, and that is, go on. Hindrance or no hindrance in the path of duty as God the Holy Ghost enables you. So I would say this, is it Satan or is it the Holy Spirit closing a door? I don't know. (laughs) Go to prayer, ask for wisdom and guidance, and then go through the door that's open. My personal conviction, and sometimes it's not always good because I like to take one step ahead of God sometimes, I think. But my personal conviction is that unless you're getting a clear no, then you take action and walk through that door. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Beautiful verse for anyone sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. As usual, Paul ends, with the, uh, Paul ends the chapter like he's going to every time as we go through the book of First, Thess- First Thessalonians. He re- ends the chapter with a reminder that Jesus is coming again soon. And it's an amazing reminder of the love and compassion and reward to come. When Jesus comes again, you know who I hope to be boasting about, he says. I'm going to be boasting about you. (laughs) The people are our glory and our joy, he says. You want to please Jesus when he comes? Be able to point to others as a witness of your faithfulness to the kingdom of God. Friends, let me encourage you this. A godly leader will be bold in their declaration of Jesus Christ, even at the risk of one's own convenience, contentment, and comfort. A godly leader will believe what they're saying. A godly leader will seek to serve and not be served. And a godly leader will always exhort, encourage, and charge the people to be more like Christ. In the book of Matthew, an an expert comes to, uh, an expert in the law, one of the Pharisees, one of the high-ranking Pharisees, came to Jesus and he asked this question. He said, leader... What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I think we can define the qualities of an effective godly leader even more down. We can refine it down to more even to this. Love God. Love people. And so I'll take my own advice this morning and I will exhort you today to love God with your whole heart, to read your Bible for this truly is the word of God. It has the power to change lives. The word of God will be at work in your hearts if you truly receive it as the word of God. I pray that you might be more changed into being like Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down in the right hand of the throne of God. And to love people, friends, I encourage you to seek to serve and not be served, to be an example to those around you. I encourage you to follow me as I follow Christ, church. Exhort and encourage and charge those to be more like Christ. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to have communion this morning. i pray for us just to wrap up. The, the uh, worship team can make their way up. I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to have some direction around communion this morning. Lord, we just thank you for who you are, God. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord. We thank you that we can trust your word, God. We thank you that we can come with full confidence knowing that your word is true, (laughs) that you've entrusted us with the message of the gospel, that it is without error, Lord. And God, we pray that you help us this week to exhort others to be like Jesus Christ. Lord, even in the scriptures, that you'd help me have more faith, Lord. Scriptures say, I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. (laughs) Lord, help me believe what I'm saying, that these aren't just empty words, but that your word would come into my heart effectively, Lord, and encourage me to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we just thank you for this time together. In your name.